You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn East. In this series, we're following Jesus as He calls us to take on His yoke and experience true discipleship. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to Him, crying out, "'Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession.' Jesus did not answer a word. So His disciples came to Him and urged Him, "'Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us.' He answered, "'I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel.' The woman came and knelt before Him. "'Lord, help me,' she said. He replied, "'It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs.' Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, peace be with you. It's good to see you. It's a joy to gather together to worship the Lord and to hear his word this Sunday. My name is Rob Plummer, and... uh, I'm glad to to be able to help fill in today. I want to ask you a question to begin with. Um, Have you ever had a situation where you've cried out to the Lord in distress, and the answer has been silence? And uh, many of us, to some degree, maybe in the midst of a pandemic, we think, you know, how long is this going to last, Lord? How every day seems the same. Whether we articulate it or not, we're saying, how long is this going to last? But some of us in here have had probably much more poignant experiences of that, maybe, maybe a bad mad- medical diagnosis, and you're like, God, is, is this it? You know, is, this, is it downhill, or, or will you take this away from me? Or, or a relational tension or crisis or injustice you're experiencing, how, how long, God, are you going to allow this person to treat me this way? How long will life go on like this? Or maybe, maybe it's an anxiety or a, a sadness or a psychological struggle. You're like, why do I wake up every day feeling sad? Or why do I wake up every day feeling like this? Why, why doesn't God take this away? And I think the passage that we're looking at today will, will encourage us and nurture us about how to walk through suffering as people who are faithful disciples, to people to whom we want, we want to hear Jesus say to us, even at the end of our suffering and in the midst of it, uh, your faith is great. Uh, I'm just going to be walking through the passage verse by verse, but before we do that, let me, let me open us with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do pray, asking today that you would open our hearts and minds to understand the Scriptures Um, that you would press them down deep into us, that we might leave here nurtured, encouraged, fed, challenged, uh, built up in our faith. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And uh, we're just going to begin again in verse 21 and walk through the text. It says in verse 21, uh, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre, and Sidon. And of course, if he's leaving a place, we have to look back to see where he's leaving. And he's been ministering in Galilee. You may know the Holy Land is a relatively small place, really. And down in the south, you have Jerusalem. And up in the north, you have Galilee. And Jesus has been in a public dispute with Jewish religious leaders in Galilee over what makes someone clean before God. 
And the Jewish religious leaders, if you look up above in chapter 15, they're saying, oh, you have to wash your hands these certain ways. You have to uh, eat with these certain utensils. You have, to, you have to eat only these certain foods and not these dirty foods. And Jesus says in the kingdom, Jesus says in the kingdom I'm inaugurating, all foods are clean, right? And now we're going on to this next passage where we see in the kingdom that Jesus is inaugurating, all people are clean, right? Jew and Gentile, male and female in our day, black and white, Asian, uh, Latino, God welcomes and cleanses all people and makes us one in Christ, right? So it says, again, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew. This is the language of getting away. This is the language of retreat. Jesus is leaving Israel. He's leaving the traditional Holy Land. And if we had a map, you'd see he would be going northwest. He would be going up along the edge of the Sea of the Mediterranean, but, uh, but outside the Holy Land. This is pagan territory, Gentile territory. And, and, and he's, we read in Mark 7, the parallel passage, it says Jesus went in the house and he didn't want anyone to know he was there, right? This is, this is time to get away. This is a retreat. This is a spiritual retreat. If you read through the Gospels, you see that um, from early morning to late at night, Jesus and the disciples are constantly being pressed upon, things being asked of them. Sometimes they don't even have time to eat. And so this is their chance to be spiritually, physically refreshed by getting away. Um, it's, not going to, it's not going to go down like, uh, like the disciples uh, hope here. <laughs> and uh, if I can draw a parallel, imagine uh, Pastor Kevin um, you know, he's been under a lot of stress, like many of us through this, this uh, pandemic. Someone in the church comes to him and says, hey, I know it's been crazy, and, and we have a condo in Hawaii. So uh, why don't you and Steph get away for a couple of weeks, get your COVID test so Hawaii won't quarantine you for two weeks when you get there. Get your COVID test, go to Hawaii, relax at the condo. We'll take care of your kids. They're all doing online learning anyway. We'll just hook them up in the basement, and it'll be great. And so, um, so he, he gets there, and I mean, it's a beautiful place, and uh, goes to the room, puts the luggage down, and then the first thing he hears is, he answers the door, and there's a guy, like a really upset guy standing there saying, Pas- Pastor Kevin? He's like, uh, yeah. He's like, oh, I thought it was you. It's a miracle. I can't believe it. I've only attended your church a couple of times, but my wife and I were on this trip, and she's so mad at me. She just said she's going to leave me, and she's down in the lobby crying. Would your wife be able to go down and talk to her? And I'm just so upset. I'm just, honestly, if you could just stay with me a little while. Um, that's not what Pastor Kevin would be looking forward to at that point. And uh, we can see that the disciples uh, experience the retreat in a similar way. We read on in verse 22. It says, a Canaanite woman, a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Now, it's interesting in Mark, again, in the parallel passage in Mark 7, she's called a woman from Syrophoenicia, right? That would have been the more common uh, geographical term from that time. But Matthew uses a very old term, right? An accurate term, but it's still like an outdated term. I don't know what you would call be like calling a car a, 
a motorized carriage or something like that, right? It's using a, an antiquated term for this lady because the Canaan, Canaanite would have been a term that would have been used you know, more than a thousand years before this. But he's using it because he's wanting to evoke, this is a woman who has descended from the people who were the enemies of the Israelites when they entered the land, right? These are the people who fought the people of God. These are the people who tried to tempt them and draw them away into moral corruption. So this is not a Jew. This is not an Israelite. This is someone who's descended from the enemies of God. And, and it's, uh, it's intriguing um, what, what she says, right? And I want to, if we glance forward, we've, Lindsay already read it for us, we see at the end of the story, Jesus says to her something he never says to his disciples, right? To the disciples, he says, I wish you had faith the size of a mustard seed. To this woman, he says, you have great faith. You have great faith and your request is granted. And so we, we want to pay real close attention to what she says and does because I think we can learn from her what it means to approach the Lord with great faith and suffering. So pay real, real close attention to me with me here as, you, as, as we look through this. So she's crying out. And, and actually, it's interesting, the English, English uh, translations rearrange the order of what she says. Uh, but I want, I want to go with the order that's actually given in the, in the original Greek because I think it's an intentional building and crescendo. So the first thing she says to Jesus is, have mercy on me right? Have mercy on me. And, and I want us to think about what that is, right? We, just, we say the word mercy, we just throw it around a lot without thinking about what it means, mercy ministry or this. But, but biblically, when someone asks for mercy, they're saying, I have no entitlement to what I'm asking. I'm in great need. I'm in great need, and I have no entitlement, and I believe you have the ability to help me, and you're kindly disposed towards my petition. Right? There's a lot, actually, there's really quite a bit of content in that, right? The woman right off is saying, I'm empty, you're full, I think you want to help me. I think you're inclined to help me, right? So, so that's, uh, that's, 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 that's a evidence of an emerging great faith, right? Then she says to him, the next word in, in the original text that she addresses him with is the word Lord, right? Lord. And uh, she not only calls him Lord in verse 22, but if you have an open Bible or a phone, uh, Bible app on your phone or something, verse 25, she calls him Lord also. And in verse 27, she calls him Lord, right? There's no mistake that she sees Jesus as Lord. And let's, again, this is a word we might say a lot, but let's recognize that is a word that says, you are in authority over me. I recognize your kingly authority, and I come in submission to you, right? That's a that's a, mer, a, a evidence of an emerging great faith. It's also interesting if you read Matthew's gospel carefully. This has been noted by commentators and others that when he uh, when Matthew reports stories, he's reporting things that really happened as they really happened. But he so reports them and chooses details as to emphasize certain things. And one thing he does is. He, tell, he tells stories that, of people who don't really get who Jesus is, and when they, when they don't really get who he is, they just call him teacher. But in the Gospel of Matthew, when people get who Jesus is, they call, they call him Lord, right? They recognize his, his kingly authority, and they recognize themselves as having to be in submission to him. We might contrast this 
I don't know if you've ever encountered this. One time I was at a large church in another city, and uh, the guy gave a testimony about how he had come to know Jesus as Savior at a certain date, and then he lived wild and pagan, and then he came to know Jesus as Lord at a later date, and that, that's not a biblical uh, idea, right? Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Right? Jesus, salvation is a free gift, but when we, when we freely receive that, we completely belong to Jesus, and he is our Lord. It's not, he doesn't just give us fire insurance and say, go live however you want to be, whoever you want to be, but he says, you're mine, and come follow me. And this woman exercises and shows that great faith because she comes to Jesus, I have nothing, you have everything I need, I believe you're kindly disposed to me, you're my, you're Lord, you're sovereign, I bow before you, I recognize your full authority over all of my life. Then again, in this building crescendo, perhaps the most shocking thing she says to him is she calls him son of David, son of David. And if you're, you're new here, maybe that sounds especially strange to you because you think, well, David, wasn't that a king that lived like over a thousand years ago in Israel? How could Jesus be the, the son of David? Well, he's not, not the immediate biological offspring of David, right? But he's the heir or descendant of David. And Matthew has even begun his gospel to, to help us understand this, right? If you, you turn to the beginning of the gospel, it begins with the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, right? Matthew's saying, Jesus, this person, Messiah Jesus, is going to fulfill the promises, the saving promises given to Abraham and to David because he, according to his human nature, is one who is the rightful descendant to the throne of David. Don't forget, this is said by a Canaanite woman. This is said by a Canaanite woman. It would be like going to Washington, D.C., and you, you know, you're walking by the White House. Oh, the president's landing in his helicopter. Oh, look, it's the president. And then you have a bunch of people who have signs like Pelosi and Schumer's families for Trump. And they're like, go, Trump, yay! <laughs> You'd be like, what, what? Like, that totally, or, or, you know, maybe in Kentucky, we need to make this understandable. Be like pulling up to an intersection and there's like a big blue and white Jeep, like somebody all, they got all UK Wildcats. And then on the back, it says, go Duke basketball. You'd be like, people would be like, huh? <laughs> I don't understand that, right? The disciples didn't understand that. They're like, this one's nuts, Right? This woman, by the way, Nora, we need to get this lady to teach in the women's ministry at Sojourn. She could do a systematic theology class, right? She knows Jesus is one who dispenses mercy. She knows Jesus is Lord. She gives lectures on that. She gives lectures on Jesus as the son of David, the Messiah who fulfills the Old Testament promises. We wonder how in the world this Canaanite woman came to know these things. I mean, if you look, it's not till the next chapter that Peter confesses Jesus as the Christ. He's like taking notes from the Canaanite woman. The Canaanite woman is schooling the apostles here, right? And, and how, did, how did she come to know this? How did she come to know these things? Suffering can be a great theological tutor, and it had apparently been for her. We read in the next, ver or the next sentence here of verse 22, it's, she says, My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Right, my daughter is terribly demonized. Now, we, we don't know how long this had gone on. We don't know how the daughter was suffering, but if we read the rest of the Gospels, 
People who were demonized were often doing things uncontrollably to hurt themselves and other people, foaming at the mouth, falling, self-harm, this, this sort of behavior controlled by demons. And, and this woman, she, she, she's a pastoral theologian too. She doesn't come to Jesus and say, I have no idea what's going on. She goes, let me diagnose what's happening. My daughter is indwelt by a wicked, evil spirit, and I know that you have the authority and the inclination and the goodness to rescue her, and I've come here knowing that you're the only one that can. Now, we, we don't know, again, uh, this is somewhat speculative, but the way she talks about it, it, it sounds like it's something that's been going on for some time, and, and it's not unlikely, I think, being a Canaanite woman, she probably tried all of the religious charms and solutions in her environment, all the home remedies that the other women in the neighborhood suggested to her, and none of them have been successful, right? So she somehow had heard about this person, Jesus, and who he was, what he'd done. And again, her suffering, her suffering had served as, as, a, as a theological education. She had come to know who was the only one who could help her through the trials that she was going through. Now, uh, I think, again, because this is so culturally historically distant from us, we sometimes miss uh, just, just the tension here. So I want us to imagine that we could fly back through time in a time machine, and we could take a film crew with us. We could be our own film crew. We have cameras, and, and we're going we're gonna to film this, and we're going to make a documentary about the life of Jesus. So we're back there, and we've got, we've got cameras going, and we're like, hey, hey, just keep, stay back, stay back. This, is, this happens. People come to Jesus. This happens all the time. He, he may just say, go home, your daughter's well, or he may go there and touch, grab her hand. He may spit on the ground. I don't understand why, but he spits. He makes mud. I don't know. It, cra- crazy things can happen. Just keep the, keep the, keep the camera rolling. And the camera's rolling. Jesus did not answer a word. Cut. Come over here, Jesus. Just if you don't mind, we're just. Um, this is really off script. You know, we're. I'm not sure how this is going to affect your brand when we when we do the movie on this. And I don't. Have you ever heard of Mr. Rogers before? You know, he's so predictable. Every time he comes in, he takes his shoes off, he puts the slippers on, he puts a little sweater on. He's just so. We just always know what he's going to do. Could you? I mean, I know you're Lord and everything. Could you? We're not trying to tell you what to do, but could you do, be a little more predictable? Could you do just like what we want you to do? Because this silence stuff, this, this is really uncomfortable. Silence can be, even shortly, can be very uncomfortable. And it's hard to interpret what Jesus meant by the silence, because it doesn't tell us. The disciples may be interpreted it as ambivalence, or uh, they felt that, that they had grounds to, to ask what they asked next. So it says this, verse 23, so his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. So what, what would our paraphrase be? Our paraphrase would be, this woman is so annoying. We thought we were getting away on a retreat. We thought we would finally get to eat supper. We thought it would finally be quiet, and she will not shut up, right? If this were modern times, they'd have their 
phones out. They'd be videoing her crying out, help me, Lord, help me. They'd be posting it on social media, hashtag cancel the Canaanite, you know, whatever. So, I mean, it was, it was not popular with the disciples, right? And not culturally appropriate, probably. We got our cameras rolling. We're like, oh, oh, this is so good. You know, this is just like with the kids. Remember all the kids, the moms brought the kids to Jesus and the disciples were like, go away. And he's like, kids are awesome. Bring them here. This is gonna, he's gonna be like, shut up disciples and bring the people to me, bring her to me. You know, like, and we read, he said, he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Cut. No, Jesus, we could just talk to you for a second. I mean, we, we imagined how we could put music in behind the silence, you know, to kind of work it. But this, this, this is really, this is a hard saying. Like, how, it, sound, it sounds like you're saying, I didn't come for you. And that's, I, like, that's a really hard, how, how are we supposed to understand that? How is she supposed to understand that? And, of course, we have a benefit that she doesn't. We have the whole Gospel of Matthew, and we have the whole Bible. And, and when we read those, it tells us that all of humanity is in rebellion against God and not deserving of His mercy. But there's this beautiful three-act drama that's being played out. And around 2000 BC, God chose Abraham and said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send uh, a special descendant of yours. There'll be a special descendant of yours who will bring my salvation, not just to the Jews, but to the whole world, right? So act one, promise to Abraham. Act two, Jesus comes, right, and announces salvation to Israel, as Paul says in Romans, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Then act three is the salvation goes out to all nations, and that's coming. If you read the last chapter of Matthew, Matthew 28, Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations, right? But this is act two. This is act two. And, and, and salvation is first being announced to the Jews. And this woman is supposed to be in Act 3, but she's clawing back the curtain. She's like, no, I can't wait. I can't wait for Act 3. I need Jesus now. And just like if you went to a play, like people used to go to before Actors Theater was closed down, right? If you, just like if you went to a play and somebody who was supposed to be in Act 3 was jumping on the stage and coming in and pulling the curtain. You, it'd be really weird and awkward, and everyone would feel like, yeah, what are they doing? You know? And that's how the disciples felt. They're like, what's going on? This lady's not supposed to be here. We read in verse 25, it says, The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. Right? So, so, it's, it's noteworthy, isn't it, that when you really are in strong and uh, fervent and passionate prayer, it, show, it shows up in your body, right? She gets closer to Jesus. She actually gets on her knees, like with her body. She shows her petition. She shows her, her, her desire for, for Jesus to, to answer her prayer. And then she addresses him with just the most, the most basic of all prayers, right? Lord help me. And maybe there's someone, some people here this morning, you came in and things are going on and you think, all I can say to God right now is help me. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. That's the prayer that can be the prayer of someone with great faith because you come recognizing the sovereignty, the kingship, 
the provision of God, and you come recognizing your utter need and dependence. That's a very good place to be. That's a very good place to be. So again, our camera is going, you know, the, she said, Lord, help me. We're like, oh, this is good. She's, he's going to say, yes, I will help you. Yeah, get the, get it. We got to get this on camera. Jesus replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Cut. <laughs> uh, no, Jesus, come here for a second. Uh, I didn't want to tell you this, but we had some deals with Zonder Kids and VeggieTales. We really were hoping to have a kid's version of this too, but I don't think this is going to make it in the kid's Bibles. I mean, this is, I mean, the sheep are cute, but I mean, a dog, you're like, you're like how, how, what in the world does this mean? And commentators have tried to soften this a little bit. It's kind of amusing to read, to read the commentaries they, because they say, uh, well, they say there, there are multiple words in Greek for the word dog, right? And they say, you know, there's the word kuon and kunarion. And this is kunarion, which is a little more like a house dog. So you're like, okay. So he refers to her more like a Pomeranian rather than a coyote. Okay, so, uh, but, but, but. In reality, right, it's a strong saying. It's a strong saying. And it's very similar to the sheep saying. And basically it's saying, you don't have a seat at the table right now. You're outside the, the, the way this promise is being folded out right now. This is act two. Your name is not on a placard on the table. There's, there are nameplates on the table. At this point, there's not a setting for you at the table. It's coming. We know it's coming, Matthew 20, but it's not there now, Right? It's also important to remember as you read this, in John chapter 2, it says that Jesus knows the heart of every person. So someone in here may think, well, if Jesus had said that to me, I would have like turned into dust and blown away, right? I couldn't have handled that. Well, Jesus didn't say that to you, did he? (laughs) But this woman, he did. And she, every time he came at her, he's right, she's right back at him, right? Scrap, just right back. Right? And this is the conversation that she needed to have. Don't forget, too, that at the end of the conversation, he commends her like he does no one else. Right? He commends her as he does no one else. And he does answer her petition. Right? So this is a, the journey that she had to take to discover uh, who Jesus was and who she was. Now, as we've been imagining this, uh, this film crew, Every time Jesus says something, we're like, no, 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 don't do, no, don't say that. But notice what she says, verse 27. She says, yes, Lord, which those two go very well together, don't they? (laughs) If you think about it, if you say no, Lord, that's sort of a contradiction. Because when you say Lord, you're agreeing the person has authority and right to tell you everything to do and say it. So, she says, yes. She's like, granted, totally. I don't have a seat at the table. I'm not a physical descendant of Abraham. But if you just let me eat the crumbs that fall from your table, Jesus, I will be satisfied. Then Jesus answered. He said to her, we read in verse 28, he says, woman, and, and this is the same term that Jesus uses when he addresses his mother from the cross. He says, dear woman, here's your son, uh, John, his disciple, who will take care of her. Here's your mother. So it's uh, maybe maybe a better translation would be, ma'am, dear woman. Like it's it's not an aggressive, um, 
It, it, it's different than the way it sounds, I think, in English to say woman. He says, woman or dear woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. And when we read in Mark 7, it says that when she went home, the daughter was sitting peacefully on the bed and the demon had left her, right? Her request was, her request was granted. I want us to think about, um, step back from this and just think about four, four lessons we've learned about great faith and observing this woman in her encounter with Jesus. I think, first of all, we see that great faith comes in desperate need. Great faith comes in desperate need. So this woman, she came, I have no right, I have no entitlement, I need help, I need mercy, I don't have any claim on this, right? And, and a great faith comes to God recognizing our complete unworthiness, our complete creatureliness, our dependence upon Him. So again, if you're coming here this morning and you're feeling completely empty, that's a good place to be because you're ready to be filled up, right? It's, it's ironic, isn't it, that to be worthy of the kingdom of God, one must recognize one's complete unworthiness, <laughs> that one is completely unworthy, and then be given the gift of worthiness through the worthiness of Christ, right? So number one, we see that great faith comes in desperate need. We see, secondly, that great faith perseveres. Great faith is very persistent. This woman was very persistent. Her persistence was an annoyance to the disciples, Send her away. She's so annoying. Her persistence was commended by Jesus. He said, you have great faith. Right? It's, it's kind of mysterious. But in the Bible, we are encouraged to be persistent in our petition, not just to throw off a prayer and be like, well, it's in God's hands now. I, you know, I'm going to trust him. But, but to be persistent, there's, there's, it's, it's actually trusting God to pray repeatedly and passionately about a matter. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open. We're to be asking, seeking, finding. Think about in Genesis 32 where Jacob is wrestling with the angel. He's like, I will not let you go until you bless me, right? There's a picture that's seen as praiseworthy to, to hold on and say, I, I need your blessing, God. I need, I need you to intervene here. Now, the Bible also teaches, we don't have time to do a whole theology of prayer, it teaches that sometimes the answer is not your request is granted, right? Think about Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. Over and over he pleaded, take this, take this suffering from me. Take this thorn in my flesh. Take this thorn in my flesh. Take this thorn in my flesh. He was persistent in prayer. And the, and the reply was not your request is granted, but the reply is, was my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. But still persistence prepared him for that. So we're to be asking, seeking, knocking, knowing that ultimately the answer will be your request is granted and there'll be compounded joy because of the persistence or the answer will be my grace is sufficient and we'll be prepared to receive that because of the relationship that we've had with God through that persistent prayer. So we see number one, great faith comes in desperate need. It's good to come empty and recognize you're empty so God can fill you up. Secondly, we see that great faith perseveres. It's persistent. It keeps asking. It keeps seeking. It keeps knocking. 
Just a little side challenge off that, a little side challenge is ask your wife, your husband, your kids, your roommate, what do I complain about? That's maybe what you need to be persistent in prayer about rather than complaining about, right? And, and, and uh, recognize that we were so prone to be prayerless, to be complaining and, and to be prayerless. We're so prone to um, say a short prayer, but really be lazy in our prayers rather than to be persistent prayers. But a picture of great faith, a faith that, that pleases Jesus, that he commends, is persistence in prayer. Thirdly, we see that a great faith um, carries the troubles of others as one's own. Right? We, we even forget in this passage, uh, maybe, that, that the woman, when she says, help me, have mercy on me, she's really carrying her daughter before the Lord in that petition. The daughter is indwelt by an evil spirit. Even if the daughter probably doesn't even know she's there, or if the daughter knew she was going, she probably would have mocked her for going, right? But she's able to, she so loves her daughter, she's able to carry her before God in this persistent prayer, a prayer that is answered. So if we're going to be people of great faith, we want to be carrying one another in prayer. We don't want to be throwing up superficial prayers, forgetting to pray for one another. We want to be people when, when some, our brother or sister asks us to pray, they know that we'll be like this Canaanite woman, that we'll be on our knees, we'll be prostrate before the Lord, that we'll be pleading with him, we'll be bringing this before him as if it were our own petition, right? As if it were for ourselves. And then that we might have excitement and, and anticipation at what he would do. Think about that. You probably have a situation with someone you've maybe almost given up on. You're like, that person will never change, right? I really doubt it could be worse than someone who's indwelt by an evil spirit. <laughs> this person will never, this person is indwelt by an evil spirit, has no control, has no inclination to God, has no, no signs of repentance. But she's bringing, she's bringing that daughter and she sees the miraculous work of the Lord in delivering her. That's encouraging. So great faith comes in desperate need. A great faith perseveres. A great faith, a great faith is persistent, right? A great third, a great faith um, carries the troubles of others as one's own. And then I, I think most importantly, we see that a great faith is placed in a great Savior, right? Ultimately, what makes her faith great is the object of her faith, right? The object of her faith. What makes her faith great is she's believing and trusting true things about a great Savior. In the fall here in Louisville, there's something called the, fest the Festival of Faiths. I, I don't know if they'll have it this year, but the, you know, anyone who believes anything can go there and set up a tent and celebrate that they believe, right? And, um, but that's not a biblical understanding of faith, right? Faith Faith is neutral. Faith is, is putting your trust in something, resting on something. And you, you can trust in evil things. You can trust in false or worthless things. You can trust in true and holy and good things. So it's the, ultimately the object of your faith. In this case, the object is the person of Christ, right? It's the object of your faith that, that makes it um, great or admirable or, 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 or good, now, um, you know, I, I guess if we, if we were to just uh, be completely honest here, right, if we were to take our mask off, metaphorically speaking, 
Uh, and, and there might be some of us who, who would still say, yeah, but that's a re- that is not in my kid's Bible. <laughs> you know, that's, that's a really strong, that's a strong passage. And, and I don't know, I mean, was, I don't want to say it out loud because it doesn't seem like I should as I'm a Christian, but was Jesus too hard on that woman? I mean, was that too much for her? So I want, to, I want to explore that question for just a moment. I want you to imagine with our sanctified imagination if we could, if we could go up to heaven, right, and to meet this woman. And, uh, the, uh, you know, we, we have this question we're, we're curious about. We're like, I'm, I'm going to ask. I've, I get a chance. I, what, about, what about the Canaanite woman? But we find that when we're standing in her presence, she's so radiant with the glory of Jesus, so reflecting his glory that we're, we may have trouble remembering what we were going to ask, right? And we may actually have trouble speaking, and we may, may actually fall down on the ground uh, overwhelmed, like people do when they encounter angels, you know, the glory of God display. Uh, but, but if we could still speak, if we could still speak with her, we might, we might say to her, we might say woman, right? We don't know her name, right? ma'am, dear lady. So we, we just read this passage and I mean, it's, Jesus says he was silent. I mean, he was silent. And then he, he said the thing about the sheep and the dogs. Was that, was that too much on you? I mean, and, and I don't know how we will remember difficult things in heaven, but let's imagine for the moment that she, she had some, some recollection of this as, as shadowy as it might be. And she might say, you know, that having my daughter go through that, sick like that, demonized like that, that was one of the hardest things, that was the hardest thing I ever encountered. And, and that conversation with Jesus was not, was not easy. But if that had not happened, I would not have come to know Jesus in his mercy. I would not have known I needed mercy. I would not have known I needed help. And I would have not come to know him as my helper. I would have not come to... I, only because of that do I know him as my Lord. Only because of that do I know that he is the promised son of David. That as the prophet said in the Old Testament, he was pierced for my transgressions and he was crushed for my iniquities. And the peace, the peace that he brought to me was because of the punishment that he bore for me. And if I hadn't gone through that suffering and that hard conversation, I never would have known that and never would have known the everlasting joy that I know in his presence now forevermore. Let me ask you about the suffering you're going through. Could God have a similar purpose for that as well? We know that the greatest example of suffering in the history of the world, in the history of the universe, is when the innocent Savior died for us, and we saw God's great purpose in suffering there. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant, sealed by the shedding of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Because sojournees, whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. You have, uh, 
If you're a Christian, we invite you to partake of communion. It's a bit strange the way we're doing it now because of the pandemic, but we have these little uh, bags with your own, uh, with a little wafer and the, the juice there. We invite you to uh, sit before the Lord and consider his death for you and to, to take that on your own during the, during the time of music or prayer. Let me pray for us. I'm Kevin Jameson, lead pastor at Sojourn East. Thanks for listening. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support the ministry of Sojourn East, visit sojournchurch.com slash east.